So, as you've just heard, we are beginning today a new series of of learning together uh, from the Bible book of James. Uh, We're going to be looking through uh, these five chapters together uh, every Sunday morning uh, for the next, uh, well, up until uh, almost Christmas. Uh, And we might as well get started straight away, mightn't we? It's on page 1213 in the Bibles nearby. Do grab one and we'll be reading them uh, as we go through. Has everyone got it? So it just says, to start with James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. We'll stop there for now. What have we learned so far? It's written by James. In the the day when this letter was written, you put who you... Uh, were at the beginning, which is very convenient, wasn't it? It saves you turning all the way to the end to find out who sent you the letter in the first place. And he puts his name at the top there. He describes himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says there he's writing to uh, Jewish Christians. That's why they're called the 12 tribes. It's a reference to the tribes of Israel. Actually, at the time when James was writing, there, there weren't 12 tribes left, but it was a kind of generic kind of reference to the idea of people from a Jewish background. And these people he's writing to, it says, have been scattered, scattered among the nations. Now, here's a question. You don't have to answer it. It's kind of rhetorical. Anyone remember what we looked at in church two weeks ago? Oh, tricky. I won't ask you to uh, talk to each other or shout it out. But do you remember we looked at our vision to be a church for the world? Do you remember that? It was a baptism, so that was a good Sunday. That might help jog your memory a little bit. Because we were thinking about how... Do you remember in Acts chapter 8, very early on in the church's history... Not long after Jesus had risen from the dead and returned to the presence of God, his Father, the believers were all scattered there, it said in, Roman, in Acts chapter 8. Remember that. And the reason they were scattered was because there was a huge persecution going on. One of their leaders, Stephen, had been murdered. He'd been stoned because of his witness to Jesus. And as a result of that, everyone else, it says, except the apostles, all scattered, went all over the place. That was what happened. You remember Philip, one of the other leaders, he, he went off to Samaria. He became an angel. We were thinking about, not he didn't sprout wings and fly away, but he became someone God sent with the right message in the right time, the right words in the right place at the right time. Do you remember all that? Coming back now, is it? It's important. If you missed the last three messages on uh, a, a, a people, uh, who we are, a people for God, a people for the world, a people for one another, especially if you're new, uh, do check them out online because that's our core kind of vision as a church. So we're looking into this letter, is looking, uh, was actually written to the communities that came into being in that scattering. And who's this chap James then? Well, uh, there's lots of uh, research done, there's uh, lots of history and tradition. But there were several people, several men called James about the time of Jesus, around Jesus and his disciples. And this one, one of them, became a leader in the early church in Jerusalem, the very first church that gathered together when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came, and thousands of people turned to Jesus. Uh, a community was formed in Jerusalem. And it seems that this man, James, was one of the leaders of that, that church. 
Paul talks about him in his letters. He gives little details out of his life where he mentions James. Uh, some of you may remember in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about how, you know, he talks about how Jesus was seen alive after his resurrection. He says he was seen to the, by the 12. He was seen by Peter first, then the 12, the 12 uh, apostles, and then by 500 other people. And then Paul says, and then to James, and then lastly to me, says Paul. So it seems that this James, who became a leader, uh, Paul also talks about him in Galatians, where he gives a little bit of details about how early on in his Christian experience he went to Jerusalem, and he got his kind of message vetted by the church in Jerusalem, and he saw James, who Paul there says is the Lord's brother, Jesus' brother. Okay, let's put the bits and pieces together. So this James, leader of the church in Jerusalem, is Jesus' brother. But Jesus' brothers weren't Christians. They all rejected him. Do you remember once, once uh, they all came to have him arrested for being insane? And they didn't believe in him. But then after the resurrection, we know Jesus must have appeared or, or visited or you know, made himself known to James, his, one of his brothers. Actually, Jude is another of his brothers, but that's a, another story. And so this is the James who's writing this letter, the Lord's brother. And this James, we know from Josephus, who isn't a Christian historian, but a Jewish one, that James was actually martyred himself, murdered by the uh, Jewish authorities in AD, about AD 62. So that's when we're, we're, we're in really the early days. So James is a leader of the very first church. It's early on. It's, there are very few Gentile congregations at all, probably at that time. Paul, at the time when this is written, probably about in the late 40s AD, Paul was just beginning his missionary career. He hadn't even probably had his second missionary journey yet. And Paul, uh, so, so you can see the world that we're in is, is the very first days of the Christian church. And James, one of the leaders, is writing a letter to believers who were just early on. So we're quite close to, um, you know, back at source, so to speak, if that's uh, uh, significant for you. He's writing to those Jewish people who came to worship Jesus as their Messiah. They knew him. They see that many of them probably were in Jerusalem as visitors. Do you remember? And the first, uh, uh, in, in Acts 1, Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came, there were all those Jewish people visiting from all over the empire. And they all um, heard the word, and they heard people speaking tongues in their languages, and 3,000 of them became believers. And I guess many of them might have gone back to their places and they started little communities, and James is writing to those little communities. Or maybe some who were from Jerusalem had relatives. You know, everyone has relatives, and if you've got relatives, you know, you live in extended families. Well, maybe some of the believers who were scattered in the persecution in Acts 8 went off to find their relatives scattered around the Roman Empire. The Jewish people were scattered all over the Roman Empire. They were very well kind of out there. So you've got the picture. These people were a long way from the center. They're early in their Christian experience relatively. How are they going to live as Jesus people? How are they going to do that? They're people who, who know Jesus for themselves. 
They, they come to believe in him as the Messiah. The Holy Spirit has come into their lives. They've known forgiveness. They were part of a community in Jerusalem. Now they're scattered. How do they keep going? How then are they going to live the life now? And that's in many ways what the book of James is about. How are you going to live this life? Because we're a long way from Jerusalem, aren't we? Uh, I went there for the first time this year. I suppose it must have taken about three and a half to four hours to fly. But I don't mean that. We're a long way from these events. We're 2,000 years. We're different cultures. We're a long way in one sense from the center, but that doesn't matter. But how are we meant to live the life Jesus gives us here and now? We know Jesus as our Lord. We know Jesus as our King. How do we live his life then? Well, James is going to help us. He's very direct, as we will discover. Did you, anyone who've read it, did anyone notice that in the, you read it? You know, you know, you don't have to say to James, you know, you know let me know what you think, James, you know. <laughs> he, he, he lets you know what he thinks. Uh, he's direct. But he's also actually, and you, you might not quite see it so much in this letter, but he's wise, because he's led that church in Jerusalem through some difficult times. If you check out Acts chapter 15, when Paul um, got going with his missionary journeys and, and Gentiles became believers, so it became very important to sort out a big issue, what to do with Gentile believers in Jewish communities. Are Jewish believers going to be separate from Gentile ones? How is all that going to work out? And they have a big kind of uh, convention uh, in, in Jerusalem. And Paul is there, and James is there, and Peter's there. And James is, you can read it in Acts 15, he's like the one who kind of chairs it all. And he may be, well, on occasions, he'll tell you like it is, but he's also very wise. He's actually quite gentle. He's quite thoughtful. And you see his wisdom coming through. When he sums up that occasion, he says, uh, in, in a, in, I think in a letter, you can read it in Acts 15, he says, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us for such and such a thing to happen. That's a very wise way of putting something, isn't it? In, after a big kind of almost argument and dis- dislocation in the entire church. And he, he's kind of led them back together again. So he may be direct, but he's not a kind of being direct because he enjoys punching people verbally or in any other way. He's just being open. And honest, because that's what he's like. He's practical and down to earth. He knows there are challenges to living the Christian life, the Jesus life. He knows that faith is under fire. It was then and it is now. And in this first section we're going to look at today, he tackles three areas where, in our lives, I believe, where the fire can feel quite hot. Or if we're talking about another kind of fire, the bullets can seem quite close. Three areas. What are they? They are are trials. They are circumstances, which are kind of linked. And they're those inner temptations, those inner battles we face. So let's start off reading what he has to say to begin with in verses 2 to 8, shall we? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters... Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Told you he was direct. (laughs) Trials are going to come, says James. That's the first thing. Sorry, the first thing I want to say is that he says, first of all, there can be joy in trials. Stick with this. He says, trials are going to come. He says whenever, doesn't he? He doesn't say, look, you know, if by any chance, you know, you unfortunately, I'm sure this isn't going to happen to you, but if just in case it does happen, you know, trials, no, he doesn't say that. He says when trials come. And again, that's not surprising, isn't it, given to who he's writing. He makes it clear that they're likely to happen and that there's likely to be more than one of them. He actually says the words here are, you just kind of fall into them. You know, sometimes there are trials of our own making. We do dumb and stupid things or unwise things or whatever, uh, you know, and uh, we find ourselves, I don't know, with a, a large insurance claim or something. Don't read anything into that. You know, or, or, something, or something like that. There are trials that we have of our own making, but there are also things that come. We just, we don't do anything we just find ourselves fallen into trials a bit like the man it's the same expression used to remember when jesus told the story of the man uh, the good samaritan man going from jerusalem to jericho fell among thieves he was just kind of overtaken by something well in his case it was thieves in our case it might be something else trials come that would have, uh, these, these, his readers would have known this, but that can be a bit of a shock for us sometimes living in the West right here and now. Trials come. All, things can, all kinds of things happen. But when it does, James says, we need to know something. Verse 3, you know something. What do we need to know? Well, we need to know that there's more that's happening than just the trials themselves. He's actually saying They're like tests. He says the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, this isn't like a a pass or a fail. You know, you'd have a test to see, you know, whether you pass your driving, uh, you can drive or not, or whether you, you know, you can, you know, go to university or one one or another one or have A-levels or whatever you got. It's not that kind of test at all. That's not the idea. It's more like a kind of proving that faith is strong. Or it's a way of enabling it to grow stronger. Um, It's a bit like, uh, I think, uh, again, don't get this wrong, like a physio. Have you ever had physio? I did uh, once, and I went to the physio, and the first thing she did, uh, she was an amazingly bendy woman. I've never seen someone like it. She could do all this kind of stuff. And um, she, she tried to make me do the things that she could do. Well, that was, you can imagine what that was like. But she was saying, I want you to do these things because I want to know what you can do and what you can't do. And then she gave me exercises to help me grow stronger, which uh, I should be doing more than I do now, I have to confess. But anyway. And in a way, it's that kind of idea These trials are are for building strength. They enable us to persevere. That's a key word. See that word perseverance? That means to keep going with Jesus. 
despite what's happening. And James says we need to know this. is something we need to know. And we also need to know something else. We need to know that there's a process here. Can you see that process? It's in the, in the way he writes. You, you know, testing produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. As we persevere, as we keep going, then the process is producing something. We're becoming complete. You might not feel like it, but, but there's a, an agenda that God has in this. He's doing something in us. He's doing something with us in these trials. Now, please don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean he sends them directly. That whatever the trial is, you, you can say, that. well, God sent me. Then No, that, he, he, he uses them. As we shall see, it's not right. It doesn't help to go there to, you know, blaming him for sending them. And James says, if you can know this, if you can get hold of this somehow, then it's a route to joy. See there in verse 2, consider it pure joy. Well, that seems hard, doesn't it? Pure joy when trials come. Is it... Oh, good, more pain, marvelous. I knew I needed some more of that in my life. Is that, is that what it's about? Well, I hope not. It doesn't seem very realistic. I mean, that's what I might say very sarcastic. Well, thank you, that's marvelous. You know, you know I don't want any more of that. You know. is, is that it? But, but there is a movement, James is saying, that might begin with, this is awful. I don't know how to take this, but ends up finding pure joy. That's what he seems to be saying. Isn't it? Is that what the word is saying? Let's stick with that for a little bit. It may not be easy. Well, it will not be easy. It might take time. But there is a route to take. It comes as we realize that God is there with this purpose and working plan for me to grow. To become mature as a believer. To lack nothing. That's something I need to know when the trials are on. So you see there's there's this trials, test, persevere, maturity. There's this process Now, I think it's possible, and I hesitate to say this, but it actually (laughs) happened to me in a tiny, tiny way, a very small way yesterday. It was actually here. Uh, There there are little few things going on in my life that are uh, small things, really. They're kind of personal trials, and I was a bit aware of them, and I was quite discouraged, and I was feeling very heavy, and I, uh, I you know, had a message to prepare, and I was sitting having my lunch in the um, prayer space up there at the top of the building. Do go and use the prayer space, by the way. Uh, up the stairs at the top, uh, there's a great place to go and pray. And I was there kind of reflecting, not feeling too great. And I really sensed the Lord saying, go and read this passage in James again. You know, I, I had to preach on it. I'd already read it lots of times. I'd actually had an outline, but I didn't actually have the talk. And I couldn't write it because I was feeling a bit overwhelmed. over Quite a small thing, really. And so I did, after a while. Not straight away. In the end, I said, oh, all right then, I will. And I went and read it. And as I read it, 
it really struck me again. I knew it because I was going to preach on it. I just didn't have these words of the talk at that point. But um, I read about God's agenda to bring me somewhere else in my journey with him. That God wants me to be complete and that he can, he's got an agenda. He's at work doing something else. And if all I could think about is the trials, maybe I need to start thinking, well, that's what happened, actually. It started me thinking in a different direction. For one thing, I stopped thinking about the trials, but I started thinking about, well, what God is, what, then I, what, what are you doing? And I started kind of reflecting and praying into that. And, and I, I think it's, it's a tiny, tiny thing. And forgive me if you're in the midst of a massive trial and you think, can that really be scaled up to the thing that I'm facing? That's for you to figure out. I, I'm not saying it can. But I think it might. I think there's something in this process. Because as we stop looking at the trials and we start looking at, God, well, what are you doing in this process here? Then it kind of orientates. We start asking God things. We start asking, well, Lord, then where are you? How am I supposed to go with this? You know, what's going on here? What are you going to talk to? teach me and and once you know you're you're in that you're you're looking that way to, towards him and you're not just completely focused on the thing that's overwhelming you on that way you see the the point if it's helpful take if it if it isn't then that's i'll leave it with you is that a way to go because james is saying to us you can ask. That process, God, what are you doing? When am I going, okay, there's a process here. I don't know what it's about. All I can think about is these things over here. But I, God, I want, need to know something about what you're doing in my life and what your agenda really is in this. You know, at that point, what are we asking for? James says, it's fine. You're asking for wisdom. He goes on to say, if you lack wisdom, ask God. And sometimes it's in that process, maybe it's in that lament kind of process that what starts with overwhelming sorrow begins to move towards God. And the sorrow is just as difficult, but you're aware that God is there too. Wisdom. What is this wisdom then? God's truth for this situation. Wisdom is about knowing something. But more importantly, it's not about just knowing stuff. It's knowing what to do with that stuff. Wisdom. You know, you can know something. You can say, oh, the best thing to do with that and that and that and that. You know, a bit like James in uh, Acts 15. He could have easily said, right, what you do is this, 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 this. But no, he listens and he knows and uses the knowledge in a certain way. That's wisdom. And as we look somewhere else, not at the trials, we're asking a God. Who's this God we're asking? Well, look at what it says about him. He gives generously to all without finding fault. Get to know who the God is that we're talking to. He gives generously. He loves to give. That's part of his nature. He doesn't want to find fault. He's not going to find fault with you. Just ask him. He is Keen, willing, enthusiastic to hear that prayer and draw alongside. Hold on to his generous character. You receive from the Lord, by contrast, uh, when James talks about people 
would not expect to receive anything from the Lord in verse uh, 7, the end there. Obviously, those who do are receiving something from the Lord. But James says, don't doubt. Ask in faith. Believe that he'll give it to you. Now, that's not so much doubt, the kind of doubt about, well, how can this, how can God allow suffering? You know, those kind of questions of, of uh, legitimate questions we often have about we have doubts like that. This is more the idea of, of doubt in the sense, it literally means faith in two minds. It, that's why uh, James talks about a double-minded person. It's kind of, well, is it that or is it that? Oh, I don't know. Is it that or might be that? Or, uh, oh, you know, it's kind of this flip-flop, flip-flop. It's kind of, you know, is God going to give me wisdom? Oh, I don't think he will. I won't bother. Oh, perhaps he will. Maybe it, it, that, that's what uh, the, the, that kind of doubt means. What James is telling us to do, what God is saying in his word is that, look, just ask God. <laughs> just ask him. Don't worry about the flip-flopping business. Just ask him and trust him. For his time as well, his answers, they may not be what you expect. The Bible says God can give us more than we ask or imagine. It's different, usually, from what we're expecting. But he still comes. And, and, and James is saying we need to hold on. If we don't, we're a bit like you know a boat at sea without uh, any means of power or navi- or um, rudder, you know, just this way or that. And when the seas are rough, you need uh, to be able to control it, and you need to be able to power through it. At the end, you know, you saw that thing on the news: that cruise liner the engines failed; they were in a lot of trouble. Once the engines are on, you can keep going through the any kind of rough sea up the wave and down it even but if you just stop and that's when it's difficult that's the kind of picture James is painting although um, there was no such thing as engines in in boats at that time I'll let you work that out anyway the point is we need to live the Jesus life even when there are trials we know God is working in them and we grab that we experience God's wisdom and help and we can receive from the Lord And as we receive from him, joy kind of begins to arrive in our hearts. Even though, let me just say, it still hurts. And it's still okay to say that it still hurts. Joy and pain are not two incompatible things. You can see that from Christian history all through the ages. Let's read on to what... James has to say next. Believers in humble, verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with uh, scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here's James's second thing then. It's about glory beyond circumstances. Now, circumstances can make it hard to live the life of Jesus. They come into our lives. We may be struggling with stuff. There are things that just make it hard. Limitations, all kinds of things. James says that whenever, whatever our circumstances are, we can hear, he says, take pride. You think, what's that about then? It's not this idea of being big headed or kind of, ooh, ooh, I'm all right. It's, it's kind of saying, 
I can kind of glory in this. It's actually, um, if you, some of you will know uh, Romans 5. Let me just read you another instance of the word in Romans 5. Um, this is Paul writing. Romans 5 verse 3. You, some of you will know that, this. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Interesting, there's that same sequence. So he says that we glory, actually the same word, we boast in our sufferings. And what it means is that he's saying we can find, we can find God in that. We, we don't kind of say, oh, no, that, we, we kind of reject all of that. We say, no, we, we know that God is here with us in these circumstances. That there's something more significant than the suffering we're going through. That God is here with us. And James goes to talk about believers in humble circumstances. And he says, look, you can find God's presence. You can find God's glory even in your humble circumstances. And then he talks about rich people. And he says, they can find uh, glory as well. The humble people, they can know that they're highly regarded by God. It doesn't matter how much or how little they've got. God's caring for them. He knows them. He loves them. So they glory in their high position because their position's got nothing to do with how much money they have. It's to do with with God loving them and bringing them into his family. And then he says to the rich people, he said, you can glory as well. But he says, what you're glorying in is also not your circumstances because you're not going to have any of it one of these days. One day, even in this life, you might lose the lot at at an instant. Those of us with pension pots and Brexit around the corner might be thinking about that, you know. He said, you could lose it instantly. So you don't boast in your, you don't take glory. You glory that, that God, God is with you in it. And he goes on to talk about being blessed. Verse 12. He says, what matters most to be blessed, to know the joy that only God can give. Blessed means being full of joy, being aware. Remember the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And all the other Beatitudes in Matthew 5, Jesus' words. People, Jesus says, are blessed in ways that have nothing to do with the values of this world. But they are orientated to the kingdom of God and the way of the king, Jesus. Because their orientation is that way, they're they're blessed. They know God's presence, God's joy. They can hold on to that, whether they have a lot or a little. And actually, God's more with the the ones that have have a little in some ways, as Jesus says in, in those Beatitudes. I'm rushing on, but you can check that out. This joy, this blessing, it says, comes from persevering. Again, there it is. It's an awareness. He paints a picture that there's a race to be run. He says the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised. The crown of life, the crown is the garland, the, the gold medal equivalent that athletes got at the games. And He's painting a picture. He says, as we persevere, we're aware that there will be an end to the race. The process will be complete one day. Then we will begin real life. The training has ended. He personally gives us the crown of life, the medal, and we love him. That's what the physio was for, we realize, for that race and the end of that race, as well as his presence with us in it. If you want to check a cross-reference of that, Hebrews 12, verse 2, we look to Jesus, who's the pioneer and perfecter. 
he ran with joy through his trials and he's waiting to meet us at the end of the race so we look beyond the circumstances and glory starts coming into them finally and i will be very quick on this i promise there is a, a way through temptation. Read verse 13 with me, please. Not out loud, just follow it. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, sin when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So we've, we've had trials, we've had circumstances, and James goes on to talk about temptation. Now, testing and tempting can, are the same word in the original Greek. And it's the context that helps us decide whether we're talking about temptation or kind of testing. And, and here it's fairly obvious, isn't it, as it usually is in the context. And here James is saying, look, trials and the way we deal with them, testing circumstances, can lead us into temptation. The pressure for us to turn away from God to start just living our way, to kind of forget it. Oh, right, then we'll, I might as well just forget it. And James suggests that one of the ways that this can happen is if we start blaming God for everything. You know, if God had answered that prayer, well, he didn't so well. Or if he'd taken that trial away, it might be different. Or it's his fault. If, he, if I'm like I am, he made me like this. It's his problem. And those kind of drive us away from God. And James wants us to know the Bible is saying here, God is saying by his spirit, that that is not the way to go. Don't blame God. God doesn't give us bad stuff that pushes us away. It's not him that gives us trials. He may permit them. He will be at work in them. But trials come out of the, it's the way the world works. When people are free agents to choose this way or that, then other people will be hurt by the consequences of the decisions and the actions that they take. And the world is, as you may have noticed, not quite perfect. <laughs> it's flawed. And there, is, there, are, there are people with free, as free agents and there is a broken, flawed world. And the combination means that trials will come. Difficulties will come. We get hurt in the midst of it all. And God will use it. But it's not that he is kind of giving them directly to you. Some people say, well, God gave my friend cancer. God didn't give you, you or your friend cancer. It hasn't come from him. He will work through it. And many of us who've been on that journey ourselves or with others can see God working in it. But he hasn't sent it. And once we start blaming him, it's not helpful. Well, what can we do? What can we do? James says three very quick things. He says, first of all, for verse 16, we need to be aware that we can be deceived. See that? Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. So let's be honest and open about that. We can get it wrong. We can be deceived. 
verse 17, he then goes on to say, there are good gifts from God. God can help us with his ways. He, with his gifts, he can provide our lives with an alternative center to our own desires. I've missed out a bit. I was going to talk about desires because he said there that desires are what kind of, when our desires, which aren't necessarily wrong in themselves, but as we turn away from God, so our, our desires can become kind of dark. And so that's the why, the why temptation begins to, to get traction in our lives. And we have these gifts from God to give us that alternative center to our lives. And, and James is stressing again, look, read this passage again uh, uh, later, and there's one question to ask yourself, what kind of God is being described in this passage? And the, the God who's being described in this passage is good, who gives perfect good gifts. He is the father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows and so on. Remember that. We can ask him. We can turn toward him, not away from him. And we can help each other with that. We can pray those gifts into our lives. We can help one another make sure we're not deceived as we pray and share together. And finally, James says, he is our father. We've been born from above, born again. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all his creation. We can know him personally. We can respond to his truth about Jesus, who is the word, the one who reveals God. We can begin a life with him as our father. And he doesn't stop being our father once we've started, even especially when there are trials and circumstances and temptations. And did you see at the end there, we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. There's that process again. That process God is uh, kind of recreating in us what pleases him. So we can live the life even when our faith is under fire with trials, circumstances, and temptation. Because we can know joy in his changing us on the road in the trials. And even the changing process can sometimes hurt, as you may have noticed. But he's there. He has a loving purpose for our lives. We can glory in his presence with us, whatever our circumstances, as we look forward to the end of the race. And maybe some of us who are older need to grab that again today. And we can find the way through temptation, trusting in his unchanging faithfulness to his word and in the new life that he's given us. Let's pray that we may live the life and look forward to seeing what else James has got to say as we uh, continue with him next week. I'm handing over to them. Actually, as they're coming, just pause for prayer for a moment.